Welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm the legend. I'm, no, I'm sorry. I'm Sean Farrell. <laughs> I'm the older brother and I am your host and I will be asking the questions of Matthew Farrell, who is here with me right now. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I would have been both disappointed <laughs> and annoyed by either response. If you done it or not done it, I would have been both annoyed and and pleased. This week we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode, which was exploring nanotechnology and the future of renewable energy. This is from December 15th, 2020. We are just two short weeks away from being out of 2020. <laughs> Thank God. Cannot happen fast enough. Yes. I would rather be fighting replicants than <laughs> dealing with what 2020 has given us. I agree completely. I thought this episode was a lot of fun and extremely difficult like you get into brain breaking stuff and i think that one of the most fascinating aspects of the brain breaking is that brains be broken largely <laughs> just by scale that's yes. fascinating to think about yes. the difficulty we have in comprehending scale when you say one billionth of a meter yeah and like, well, I know what a meter looks like. And then you try to, you can't do it. It's like the national debt. You say, oh, it's $3 trillion. And you're like, but okay. I'm like, uh, like, you know, I know what my rent is. How many rents yes, is that? Like, yeah. like that, you, you have to, like, I know how much it cost me to buy my car. So if I bought, oh, a thousand of my cars, I get it now. So when you give it the scale of the marble, to the earth yeah. it really does become it sounds comical it sounds yeah, almost yeah, yep. made up like you're just like oh you're pulling stuff out of your butt come on it can't be that small <laughs> and as somebody was, in your comments pointed out just real briefly i wanted to to bring this up early in the episode somebody in your comments pointed out it's fascinating that we have this conception and it goes back to a much earlier introduction of nanotechnology the idea of building machines to do things at a nanoscale and what we have is largely chemical engineering it's reactive processes that are taking place at that miniature level as opposed to mini machines but at a certain point that really doesn't matter no the fact that we're manipulating things at the atomic scale to do what we want them to do whether it's a little machine or not doesn't matter it's yes. we're able to manipulate at that scale to get the desired result is just absolutely fascinating to me it's like I, my brain had trouble wrapping around the size of the scale and somebody in the comments made a, a, a brought up a point of well you should just describe it as like you know one nanometer is like a handful like two or three atoms in width and i'm like that doesn't help me because i have trouble wrapping my head around how small an atom is so it's like i know an atom is small but it's like how do i relate it to something in my life that if i'm looking at this object like wow okay that's that's crazy small and yeah. so i was trying to come up with analogies for that and it was really tough 
Yeah. And when you say something like, well, you just, just, just say it's the width of an atom. I remember being younger and seeing a breadcrumb and thinking, hmm, I bet that's an atom. <laughs> like our brains at a certain point can't conceive of what that means. It's, exactly. It enters the realm of faith. It's you are accepting something which is so beyond your ability to experience directly short of the scientists who are actually looking through the microscope. And as you point out, the idea of using a microscope to look at glass, <laughs> reaching the point where you're like, yeah, that thing that you can see through, I can see it. Like, <laughs> it it goes the other way too for not just the nanoscale, but it's like, it's, it's going huge. The same thing. It's like wrapping your head around how big the sun actually is. It's like, it's one of those. Yes. Yeah. Trying to understand those kind of scales as well. Discussion of this video is a little bit difficult because you lay out so nicely what the technology is and then possible applications and routes that various research are going into. So it becomes almost like to talk about it, just to repeat it. Yeah. So diving a little bit deeper into the comments right away. And I would also like to point out there was an alternative title to the video you could have used, which was uh, Shawnee, I Shrunk the Tech. That would have also worked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or that's the title of this episode. Maybe the that's podcast. the title of this episode of the podcast. <laughs> Shawnee, I Shrunk the Podcast. Obviously, the, the point of your channel being about uh, smart homes, and tech brought into the home and then energy production. It's understandable the lens that you've used to approach nanotech. But one of the things that your commenters point out, which would be a great future video, are medical applications for this kind yes. of nanotech. One of yes. your commenters made a very direct point of saying, I'm tired of seeing members of my family die due to cancer. I would love to know more about that aspect. Um, so that's just a, a sort of a broad statement by me of saying like you didn't go into some of the organic applications of what could happen with this technology. Did you come across anything in your research on this that you were aware of that route but just decided, well, I'm not going that way because that's not the point of the channel, but I could revisit that in the future. Was there anything that caught your eye? Oh, yeah. Research being done to for blood diseases, uh, things that could, um, you want to talk about like the little mini machines, but like medicines and treatments that could be used to treat different diseases from the inside of the body that are so targeted, like where you're doing chemotherapy now to, to destroy a cancer, but the chemotherapy is destroying healthy cells in addition to the bad cells. There's nanoscale treatments and research being done that are so like laser targeted that becomes a non-starter. It's a, it's a, it's a a moot point it says it doesn't matter anymore but the it's still so early days that there's that research is still got a ways to go before it's actually being used on human beings right but it's but it there is a loose tie of this nanotechnology to what we're seeing with the vaccine that's being done for covid yeah it's the way that this uh, vaccine was made is an, is a is a way that we've known how to do, but it's never been done like this before. So it's like right. part of the reason it's taken vaccines 
five years to come to market is it's not just the research. It's also how you make the vaccine. We right. actually use eggs. You inject stuff into eggs and you grow it. And it's this really laborious, long pro- process to make a vaccine. And this is being used by like splicing stuff and using RNA and it doesn't use eggs and it makes it much faster to basically pump it out and, and make it. So then you can also then test it faster and you can make it super laser targeted. And it's been, that's part of the reason it's 95% effective is that it's this newer technology that's being used for these vaccines that's just going to be game changing for the future. I was just actually talking to my wife about this yesterday about I haven't seen that many people talking about that aspect of this vaccine because it's all about the we just got to get the vaccine out there and it's great news that we're doing this. And this is the light at the end of the tunnel. But the other part of the story is this is kind of the beginning of the new age of how vaccines are made. And it means we may be able to start treating more and more diseases going forward. And it's like, there's a whole video on just that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be fascinating to dive into that. Yeah. I think one of the the names that should pop up if you revisit this for that kind of video would be Caitlin Carrico, who is the scientist behind the Pfizer vaccine. And mm-hmm. there have been a number of news articles uh, last week that I spotted where she was being pointed out as she's been using nanotech in order to focus in on the RNA aspects of the disease. Yep. And, and so that's exactly what you've been talking about. So her name is one that I've seen pop up in my newsfeed and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, a year from now she gets a Nobel, something to point out the fact that it's her work that has led directly to the creation of this vaccine. Yep. Um, so another aspect of, of your video that I thought was fascinating was the number of people in your comments who said things like what Tim Balchek says, wow, just a few weeks ago, I was working on a term paper for energy conversion and storage for a nanotechnology <laughs> course. Uh, somebody else pointed out as a PhD student, this is perfect. No other comment, just as a PhD student, this is perfect. And I was like, well, you could expand on that a little bit, Brady. It's yeah. uh, in what way? But I think that your overview is, as usual for many of your videos, it's a really great, tight um, synopsis of, of like a, a, a top-down view of what's going on in the field. Along with that, you got a comment from Mark Umbers, who shared with you, Matt, this is a discovery from 12 months ago from researchers at the University of New South Wales involving nanotech and electrolysis for producing green hydrogen. I took that comment and I added it to my future videos list. So I am going to be doing, I can't guarantee I'll make a video on it, but I'm absolutely doing research on it because I want to kind of educate myself. And Mm -hmm. uh, if at some point it may turn into a video, I'm hoping it will turn into a video because it sounded interesting. Going back to the education, the, the people that were saying things like, I just did a term paper on this. I've been hearing more and more from teachers and students talking about how my videos are being are very helpful to them. And some teachers are showing some of my videos in their classes. And to say that freaks me out would be an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I'm not an expert in these things. I'm just doing research to educate myself. And then I'm sharing what I've learned. 
uh, in the videos. And mm -hmm. it's funny to me because mom and dad were both teachers. And I remember when I was in college, mom at one point asked me, would you want to go into teaching? And my reaction was, oh, hell no, I don't want to be a mm -hmm. teacher. It's like th there was an aspect of being in education that just did not seem appealing. It seemed very hard. And it was just like, yeah, it's like I, I you feel like you have to be an expert in something to be able to teach it. And look where I've ended up by making videos, <laughs> yeah. teaching people things. And it's being used in classrooms to teach students that are learning about renewable technologies. And it's just astonishing to me that I kind of stumbled into this and, uh, I don't know if mom and dad realized that, but it's, it just strikes me really funny that I've kind of ended up as a, I don't know, I play a teacher on TV kind of a thing. It's, it's yeah. really funny to me. Yeah. There's a aspect of that, that is a demonstration of the kind of networks that we should be developing between mm -hmm. the public and educational institutions, classroom settings, the flow of information needs to be going seamlessly in both directions. We should be having, there should be avenues for research and, and what is going on in schools to come out in a less mysterious way. And there also should be this kind of support feeding back into the education setting so that you have students at the lower levels understanding how their studies relate to the world outside the, the school. And yes, yes. for you as a, as a layman, demonstrating curiosity, demonstrating research, demonstrating, while it's a layman's understanding of the material, putting things into perspective, putting things into frames that help you be able to conceptualize these things. Um, I'm reminded of, you know, obviously the, the layer of expertise and mastery is much different, but Mark Rober is doing yeah. all of that in his videos where it's all about, you're being told to learn what a fulcrum is and you're bored out of your mind. Here's what a fulcrum can do. And then he creates that toy in the world, which demonstrates what a fulcrum is. And you're doing that on in a slightly different way, but you're doing something similar, which is if schools and teachers and students are finding your videos helpful in that way, it's a demonstration of the kind of hunger for that kind of connection between theory and practice, theory and the world. And yeah. I think that's to be, that's to be applauded. And I think that when you get that kind of response, that's, that's an, a version of applause of saying you're, helping bridge between a classroom setting where students are sitting there and learning these engineering principles. And then <laughs> you're saying that there is a community outside that is interested in how those things can apply to their world. And for some students, I know my own high school student that I have here at home is he is in the midst of adolescent, none of what I'm learning in school has an application outside the school. And yeah. I'm trying very hard to break through that. And that's a difficult conversation to have because part of adolescent thinking is, oh, I've made up my mind. And yep. Yep. You know, I remember that very clearly. Being 16 <laughs> means you know yes. everything. Like I've yep. seen behind the curtain and you adults don't understand how the world works. And I get a lot of that from my son. And trying to chip away at that with 
in some cases, you don't know how you're going to apply some of these things that you're learning in school. And you need to be open to being a little bit like a sponge right now, because at a later date, you don't know what part of that you're going to need. But one of the bigger things I brought up to him was it's not so much that they're trying to teach you the content. They're trying to teach you ways of thinking and the ways of thinking in a math class are very different from the ways of thinking in an English class versus a chemistry class versus a French class. And all those different ways of thinking are going to come into play. So you may not remember algebraic equations, but you will remember algebraic thinking and history thinking and English class thinking. And you will use those in ways that will surprise you. And saying to him, I use algebra all the time without using numbers. I'm using algebraic equations because I'm looking at things in my work that are literally X plus Y equals Z. But we're talking about concepts, not numbers. (laughs) And saying to him, you would be able to solve for Y. If I look at something in my day job, which is X plus blank equals Z, and I know X and Z, and I'm trying to piece together, why did they think that Y was in place? I need to now look for Y and understand what their thinking was. I'm doing algebra at that moment. And so I think that big picture, you are plugging yourself in through the, the videos that you've created into that kind of conversation. And I think that's to be applauded. Yeah, that that's my, I, I love that analogy because it's like sitting in a math class going, I'm never going to use this. It's like, yeah. eh, 20 years later, I'm looking at that going, I maybe not be using that algebraic equation, but I'm using that line of thinking to figure this problem out in my life. <laughs> so it's like, I can yeah. totally draw a line to everything I learned in high school, college and grad school, even though it doesn't apply directly, indirectly it applies. So it's, it's that. That's definitely what I'm trying to bring through in my, my videos. There were two more comments that I wanted to bring up. One of which, I'll be honest, I don't understand. And I don't know if somebody <laughs> was making a joke mm-hmm. or not. I think, I think I know which one you're talking about. Do you want to take a guess as to which one it is? Was it the math equation? No. Okay. Maybe you can share that with me after I share this one with you. Okay. <laughs> Hobo Gardner Ben wrote... Nanotech, yawn. Where's the Pico tech? Smiley face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's making he's and making your a response joke. was that makes my brain hurt. Yes. Can you reveal the joke to me? Because I'll be honest, I don't get it. N- nano, remember how we talked about the scale and how small nano is? Mm-hmm. Pico is to nano as nano is to millimeter. Okay. Like, P- Pico is even oh, smaller. Right. Pico is even smaller than nanometer. So, okay. if you're, he's making the joke of where's the Pico tech, it's like Pico tech. Oh man, that's, that's like <laughs> in a thousand years when humanity has ascended into the heavens. Right. And <laughs> we, we no have, longer we have, have corporeal mastered, bodies. Yeah. Yes. We have mastered Pico tech. It's like it, that was, I, that was the joke. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> the one I was talking about was uh, somebody said that my analogy of size was incorrect. And he actually laid out the math for if you had a one centimeter marble and he just like laid out the math of what the, everything would have been. And he mm. said that the earth would have been larger than one meter. It wouldn't be one meter. And mm. it w- it kind of broke my brain because I'm not a mathematician. And it was like what he yeah. did was a level above what I can do. But right. at the heart of it, it ultimately, 
not to hand wave this, but I'm going to hand wave it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's close right. enough it's that it gets analogy. you the sense. Yeah. It's an analogy. It gets you close enough into the ballpark of understanding, holy crap, this is small. So it's yeah. like, it wasn't a big deal. But he, 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 even, he even said, though, my math may be wrong. Somebody can correct me. So it's like, right. I can't correct him necessarily. I went and tried right. to do the math myself and I, I got lost. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just take a step back. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. The final comment I wanted to bring up was to point out that you might have some bots that follow you. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm 100 percent because I see? swear I think I've seen this comment before and I I wanted to bring it up simply because I love how off topic it is uh, with the point of your video here you are saying in our in your video this technology is based around the use of rust and you could use it in a brick and you could build a house that had solar technology in the bricks themselves to hold energy. And somebody yeah. shows up and says, the future is thorium and molten salt reactor technology. That's the end of the comment. And I was just like, wow, this bot is just showing up on tech videos probably, <laughs> just being like thorium and salt reactor, thorium and salt reactor. Yeah, I don't think that's a bot. I get that a lot. Like if I talk about solar panels as being one of the future things of technology, the, the nuclear fanboys tend to come out of the woodwork and be like, nuclear is going to solve it all. It's just like, okay, guys, <laughs> dial it back a couple notches. Somebody's invested heavily into thorium and molten salt reactors. Exactly. I don't know why you chose that as your <laughs> hill to stand on, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So transitioning to... The second half of our show, as we usually do, we will share some thoughts about things we are watching, little bits of entertainment to help pass the time during the pandemic. Gonna hit those P's. <laughs> I will start. And I'm gonna talk about a film called Nocturnal Animals, which is on Netflix right now. This is a film that was directed by Tom Ford, who is more widely known as a fashion designer. He has directed a couple of films, and this one is from 2016. And I will be honest, I don't know how I missed this one. This one must have come out. It's very stylish, so I'm wondering if it was mainly an art house film. Um, but after watching it last night, I can't stop thinking about it. And... I think it's going to be a movie that continues to return to my thinking again and again. And I definitely want to rewatch it. It stars Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Shannon. And it is the story of, it is the story of a wealthy art gallery owner is haunted by her, her ex-husband's novel, a violent thriller she interprets as a symbolic revenge tale. It is a movie with a story within the story. So you're watching her read a book and then within her reading of the book, you go into the story of the book. Michael Shannon is, he was grizzled before grizzled was invented. Amy Adams is carrying a huge load in acting in this because much of her work is done in isolation. It is the, it is showing a woman reading a book. So there are moments of her digesting what she's read 
And so it's her in her kitchen or her in the bath or her getting ready for bed and looking off and thinking about the past. And you not only are given her experiences in reading the book, you are also shown her moments in the past with her ex-husband. And then Jake Gyllenhaal is playing both her ex-husband in the past. He is also playing the main character of the book. So he is playing two roles. And Michael Shannon is a character within the book. So he's playing a sheriff in the story that she is reading. I really don't feel like I need to go any deeper into plot or context. It is a harrowing story within the story. And it is a heartrending context in which Amy Adams's character is living. She's living in what is a broken relationship with her current husband. And she is feeling isolated and alone. And then she gets this book, which is dedicated to her. And the story within the book is very, very harsh. It is very violent and, and upsetting. And it is, the film is based on a novel that I had never heard of before. It was published by a writer who died in, I think it was 2003. Mm -hmm. And he was 80 years old when he passed away. So this is a guy who had learned writing and the craft of writing and taught the craft of writing through the 50s and 60s. And it does have it does feel like an older story in certain ways. If it's a very slick piece of filmmaking, but it does have that older resonance to it that I really enjoyed. So it's a little bit like like a Cape Fear, that kind of story. And about the filmmaking itself, Tom Ford as a director, at the very, very beginning of the movie, the first five or 10 minutes, felt like watching a perfume ad. And by the end of the movie, I realized that was entirely intentional. It was meant mm -hmm. to feel surface. It was meant to feel one-dimensional. Because by the time you get to the end, and now you've punctured through that in so many different ways, it's a masterful piece of filmmaking. I'm very impressed. And again, this came out in 2016. I had never heard of it until it popped up on Netflix just recently. And having watched it, I, I'm blown away by it. And after we were done watching it, I turned to my girlfriend and I said, it feels like we just watched a David Lynch movie that yeah. doesn't have all the weird. It yeah. feels like it is a, and I say this lovingly about David Lynch, the nonsensical is not there in this this all pieces together very beautifully. And by the end of it, I was, it feels very much like after a first watching, it is in there with some of my favorite films. So wow. I very, very strongly recommend it. Yeah, I have, I have heard of that. It's been on my list of, I, I want to check it out, but I just haven't gotten around to it. It does feel like it's in that vein of David Lynch in in a way where it's like a, yeah. it's a little weird, but um, I wasn't sure how out there it was because David Lynch, man, he can be out there. <laughs> David Lynch, <laughs> I love be. him. 
He yeah. had a short film that was on Netflix uh, several months ago that was a film starring a monkey. Yeah. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. I love David Lynch and I love his his defense of film while also breaking all the rules of storytelling and filmmaking. And I sometimes news pops up, uh, reveals pop up. At one point, he was offered the directorship of Return of the Jedi. And he turned it down. Uh, and I, I had a moment, <laughs> uh, I had an out of body moment where I would, I would want to see that. I like, no. there would have been no Ewoks. There would have been no Ewoks. And then just like, there are just parts a talking of, monkey, <laughs> just a talking monkey. Get to the death star. Uh, so it's, it's, I, I love him as a filmmaker and I do love his films. And this doesn't have, I, this doesn't have weirdness. This has imagery that, like Lynch, there are moments where the image is what's important. Yes. But unlike Lynch, the image then ties directly into the next moment in a clear way that you don't feel like, I need to just sit back and stop trying to make this make sense. Yeah. <laughs> this, you can say, oh, this all makes sense. And it's, some of the still shots are beautiful and where some of the mastery comes in are there are several moments of repeated still shots different people different contexts same image and the juxtaposition of those things because one will be an extremely gut-wrenching moment and the other will be a loving moment and it's playing with that kind of layering of Remember that image? It was so stark and so immediate when you watched it. And here it is recreated almost perfectly, but a very different context. And right. it has that kind of, you feel like you're on a boat rising and falling with the waves. And there are moments where you're coming down so fast. There are harrowing moments in the, in the story within the story. And there are heartbreaking moments in the surface story. And both of them work really, really well. And cool. So like I said, it's I I can't stop thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it this morning. So I do recommend well, it. On the flip side of that, you got David Lynch with like the last season of Twin Peaks he made, where there were sequences in there that were just like some of the most beautiful cinematography I've ever seen. But I was sitting there going, What is what is what is happening? What mm -hmm. I this is so cool to look at, but I don't understand I don't understand how this is what is it trying to tell me? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> right. Do I need to be high? Should I be high right now? <laughs> it's like, I don't understand this. Yeah, that's David Lynch for me in a nutshell. I love the guy, but he's he's kind of crazy. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up or is that it? No, that was it. That was, that was all I wanted to talk about. Okay. There's my weekly mention of The Mandalorian, which you didn't bring it up. I will bring it up only to say that the season finale is a war. <laughs> 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 I can't wait for you to watch it so we can talk about it. And there's no way to talk about it without being spoilerific. Other than to say, I am, it was a beautiful like wrap up to the season mm -hmm. and setting things up in a very interesting way for season three. But there was also aspects of it that were disappointing to mm -hmm. me. Uh, the pros 
absolutely outweigh the cons. But there were some really, really, there was a couple moments that actually brought a little tear to my eye. And got, <laughs> I got something in my eye. I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. yeah. So I can't wait for you to watch it. That show this season was just started out a little rough, but ended strong. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is another sci-fi show called The Expanse, which is based on a series of books. And it's it was started, I think, four or five years ago on the Sci-Fi Network. And after three seasons, Sci-Fi canceled it. And then Amazon came in and bought it. And they did season four. Season five just started and they're releasing it weekly. The first three seasons of that show, in my opinion, were extremely good. Like really great sci-fi, hard, hard sci-fi, like super realistic, amazing show. Season four was not quite as strong, but was still very good. And it's only one episode in on season five. And the thing that about it that I kind of wanted to bring up is kind of not the story, but the filmmaking technique and the technology that they're doing. This season feels the way they're filming it. Like you're watching a cheap BBC sci-fi show like Doctor Who. There's something... I had to double check the settings on my TV to make sure I didn't have that soap opera effect film smoothing going on, but the show looks like it's filmed in 60 frames per second, which gives it that cheap video feel because the movement is so fluid. Then some of the camera techniques and the lighting make it look a little too realistic, like like a home movie. Like it's like, well, this is like, doesn't look very filmic or cinematic. It feels very video very video gamey and Mm -hmm. the other aspect of it is where the mandalorian is filmed on a soundstage that actually has gigantic massive led you know giant basically giant television screens above to the sides on the everything so they can actually in real time be filming the stuff they don't have to do special effects after the fact for the background because the background is actually being captured in real time behind the actors which is how you get the reflections on the Mandalorian's, you know, helmet and stuff like that, because they're filming in a soundstage that has all the special effects being run in a game engine in real time in the background. It's really trippy technology. It looks like the expanse is trying to do that on a budget and it does. They're clearly not doing it on a soundstage that has those massive screens that gives it a, the Mandalorian looks like it's on a real world. It looks like it's in a real environment because of the way they're doing that. Where this is clearly filmed on a green screen. They're probably in a studio that has real furniture that they can interact with, but there's no real walls to the rooms they're in. The walls are probably just draped in green fabric. The result is almost every space the people are in looks artificial because it's not there's there's a, the way the things are rendered and lit it it's drawing attention to itself it's like it's it's like that uncanny valley where it is so good but not quite good enough to really make it 100% believable it's 99% believable and there's this like little bit they're missing that x factor that makes kept the entire episode kept pulling me back out of it because of that 60 frames per second super smooth motion and then this weird uncanniness to the environments they were in but at the same time because they're doing it this way they were doing things in the show i've never seen done in a sci-fi show where it was single camera takes with no cuts for like three minutes at a time 
And it was just the camera following characters walking through a spaceship, coming into a docking station, walking out into the elevator, going down the elevator, walking out of the elevator into the new stuff. And it's like, you couldn't do that with real sets because you'd have to do takes and cuts between those sequences. But because it's all done on a green screen with this like captured in real time movement of the camera, clearly with a game engine like Unreal or something like that, because of the way they're doing it, it makes it in incredibly impressive with how they can do these long takes of characters walking through scenes and it makes it in that regard it has the potential to make it super immersive because it feels like the real world but the end result of the video effects are still there you can you can see you can feel them so it's like it kept pulling me out of the show and i'm hoping it gets better because if it doesn't, it's enough of a distraction to me personally that I may have to stop watching the show, not because the storytelling is bad, but because the way that they're executing with the technology, it honestly, it's like the Mandalorian is like using Disney bucks, big budget executed by people who have been doing this kind of stuff at the next level, next gen. And then you've got the expanse being done by Amazon, a bit on a budget. And using mm-hmm. using some cutting edge tech, but it's like the cutting edge tech that's like a step behind what this what Disney is doing. And so it's like the it's like you can see what the possibilities are with the Mandalorian. And then you yeah. see with the oh, here's what everybody else is doing with the expanse. And it's it's very disappointing because it feels cheaper than it did in seasons one through three. Seasons one through three look like a movie. It looked like it was filmed in 24 frames per second, had really moody moody lighting, really good contrast. So the blacks were super dark and it was like very cool looking, very stylized. And this doesn't feel stylized on purpose. It feels like they need to do one more render pass to add a little more ambient occlusion to things and the backgrounds and it, 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 there's just something about it that feels just a little off and so disappointing because um, the show yeah. is quite good. It's 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 one of the more realistic, hard, gritty sci-fi future futurist TV shows that's out there where it's it's portraying the evolution of humanity into the future in a very realistic way where Star Trek is that utopia where yeah. we evolve past our petty differences and we work together because we understand that's the way things are going to, that's the best way for it. And this is the opposite of that, of when you isolate people on different planets, they start to look at themselves as Martians and not humans from earth. And so then you right. end up starting having discord among humanity because it's just like we have with countries. So it's like, it's very realistic of how humanity is going to expand to the galaxy and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> so yeah. it's 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 a really cool story for that point of view. And it's just I just wish that the special effects and the way they're filming it wasn't so distracting. Um, there's going to be other people that watch it will not be distracted at all. But both myself and my wife, after it was over, she said that felt like a really like low budget BBC show. The way it was filmed, right. it felt cheap. It felt like video. And yet what they're doing on screen is just spectacular special effects with ships and flying and all this crazy stuff. But because of the execution, it's just off. Right. Kind of disappointing. That is disappointing. That's a show that's been on my radar. And, you know, what you were saying about what you were saying about, you know, the hard sci-fi and the, the aspects of what story they're telling. That's, it's very compelling. Seasons one through four is a big recommendation. Season five the jury is still very much out. So 
we'll end our episode there, but I'm curious as to what our listeners are thinking about all of that. Do you have a different opinion about how The Expanse is going or have you seen the Nocturnal Animals film that I talked about? And how do you feel about David Lynch? These are the hard <laughs> questions. Yeah. <laughs> Please let us know. You can reach out to us through our contact info, which is in the podcast description. Please do remember to subscribe to the podcast. You know where to do that. Don't make me repeat it. I'm sick and tired <laughs> of having to repeat it. <laughs> Please do be sure to give the podcast a rating, a review. Share us with your friends. Tell them you love us. We're lovable people. We try to be. <laughs> it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew shrinks the tech. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.